Welcome to Garage Night. Welcome to our 10th recorded episode. Uh, I am Randall. And I'm Andy. Hopefully we will have Jeff uh, joining us very soon, but uh, until then we're going to get right into it. Uh, Andy, what's going on with uh, F1? Some interesting trickery from Mercedes. So as most people that follow F1 know, 2021 is going to have a completely different rule set, um, completely different car design, bunch of bunch of changes, and Mercedes is trying to capitalize on 2020. Basically, they know what they've done is basically going to be allowed for this year and then outlawed next year. So what they have come up with, they are calling dual axis steering. So basically what it's doing is when the driver comes around onto a straight, they manipulate the steering wheel either forwards or backwards, and it changes the toe angle of the front end of the car, basically straightening up the wheels to get a little more heat, a little more grip, ultimately translating to a little more mile an hour down the straightaways. That's their little... So you can change you can change the, the camber while you're doing 160 miles an hour down the straight as you come into the corner you can push or pull the wheel and change it from straight up and down to kind of cambered out so you have full uh plant on the outside tires around the corner exactly yes you're taking advantage of basically taking the camber out of the tire for the straight so getting maximum contact on the straight instead of having any camber in it like you would to basically have the wheels, you know, flat in a corner. So by doing this, you can theoretically have, you know, your maximum amount of contact patch on the ground at all times. And that's, that's legal for right now. I mean, it's still kind of preseason. It's only day two or day three of testing right now, but um, FIA hasn't banned it yet, but it's for sure going to be banned in the new rule set for 2021. Okay. So this is something that is, it's like the Airbud scenario, you know, doesn't say that a dog can't play basketball, but it's going to next year. Right, right. They know, they basically know it's already for sure going to be killed for next year, but any little advantage they can get, you know, for constructor championship points, you know, whatnot, they're, you know, a little bit of money spent here, you know, trying to, you know, get a little further, a little, you know, an F1, every little advantage is huge. You know, especially if you look at, you know, through the years, all the things different teams have done uh, as far as like innovations and stuff to get that edge because competition is so tight in F1. You know, this is just the newest adaptation of it with Mercedes sewing this curveball this year. And I'm sure at some point other teams will try and copy something. I mean, I could be wrong. It's only going to be for one year, so maybe not. Maybe everybody just lives with it and says, okay, well, Mercedes, you get a, you get that pat on the back this year and we try again next year when the playing field's level. Yeah, because this year it wouldn't be cost effective for even the likes of Ferrari unless they think that this is something they want to put into their road car. It wouldn't make sense to invest all the time and resources to research and make this happen before the season starts or halfway through the season when you know you can't use it next year. Right, and that, and it also kind of translates into Mercedes did this kind of knowing they were going to do it because they're also implementing the, in layman's terms, the salary cap as far as um, development R&D work. Um, there's a whole giant rule set that's changed that I won't go into. We don't have that kind of time here, but um, poor man's terms, there's going to be a salary cap next year. 
Um, it's kind of a, they're doing a dry run this year where um, they have that cap, but it's, they're not, um, there's not going to be penalties for it and no points, no fines um, for 2020, but 2021, there will be fines and points levied for individual drivers and for constructor championships. So it's going to be so dry. You can still, you can still play the game the way you yeah, planned you can, on, but you can then look right. back and see, oh, this would have cost us this and that. Right, would it cost us and that, but they kind of knew it. Like they came up with this, you know, as long as nobody, nobody's going to try and copy it because they've already got their money, you know, allocated at this point for the season as far as R&D. So to try and copy something now, you'd be in it massive amounts of money. There's no way you'd be able to keep it under a cap. Yeah, what I've, what I've found so far is that uh, McLaren said that they have, you know, they're going to look at other areas of car development. They're not doing any DAS, but um, looks like Ferrari uh, wouldn't have something until mid-season at the earliest. So right. I guess the top guys are going to still try and chase, but I don't see Williams or even, um, you know, Haas racing trying to develop a system like this for only one year uh, uh, against people they're not going to really probably beat. Yeah, yeah, um, especially for a team like Haas, and I, I'm a fan of Haas, obviously being the American entry in F1, but, um, you know, for, for a team like Haas to try and do something like they're kind of just along for the ride this year, I mean, I hope they do the best. I'd, I'd love to see them rival McLaren and Mercedes, you know, for a championship here at some point soon, but no, for at least for this year, it's probably going to be, you know, kind of ride it out year, and they're going to have the best chance and best playing field they've had since they started running an F1 next year with the new rule set and the new car. Yeah. Buy, buy their time and, and try and make the best of that first year with the new leveled out rules, which we'll, we'll probably touch on as that gets closer in. Um, Cause I actually, I don't watch a lot of F1 live, but uh, I do try and follow it uh, to a point. Uh, I like Daniel Ricardo. I think he's an interesting uh, personality. Um, and of course there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of fun people um, that have, that have raced in, you know, years past. Ayrton Senna is a great story mm-hmm. a oh, documentary yeah. about him that everyone should watch. Um, and also oh, drive to survive yeah. on Netflix is wonderful. This is all stuff that me and my kids and my wife have all watched and they've enjoyed it as much as I have. Just a good documentary is hard to beat. Really is, yeah. That's that's one I've watched. I believe most. I think I'm current on that one, and it's was a pretty good one. I'd recommend it. Um, kind of the uh, the American version of F1. NASCAR had its own kind of more major shakeup. I guess there was a big accident at one of the races. Uh, someone got hurt. Someone's in the hospital. So. We're a week behind because, uh, excuse my absence for last week, but uh, so this was at the at the Daytona 500, the first NASCAR's first race of the year. Um, pretty bad last lap crash. Um, Ryan Newman was out front leading and unfortunately got turned, hit the wall, and ended up upside down when airboard got hit at 200 plus miles an hour. Um, not a not a good wreck. But um, he was in the hospital, and they actually he was released less than 48 hours after the wreck, which is a testament to the cars and the engineering that goes into them. Um, the safety attack that, safety that goes in those into cars it is, 
is the safety and the R and D into those cars too is every bit as fantastic as F one is. I mean, I I went to go back years and years ago when I was in high school. I had the privilege to go through DEI, which Dale Earnhardt Incorporated back then, and see what they'd <clears throat> what they would allow us to see. You know, it wasn't you know basically their version of classified, but there is a lot of engineering and stuff that goes into those chassis and you know he he basically escaped from all that they said is he had some sort of head injury which i presume is probably a concussion from you know getting a side impact at that speed but no no major damage no broken bones you know um you know yeah he was released less than 48 hours from the wreck and was you know walking out under his own power which is great to see you know and as far as you know, drivers in the sport. He's a he's a great guy. Um, bad wreck, but I'm happy to see him walk away from it. You know, at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, you can you can die in a 45 mile an hour wreck out here on the roads, but they can crash at 200 and you know almost literally walk away from it. You know, I think they learned a lot with uh, Earnhardt Senior's death. They they really started taking things more seriously, and I think they've done a pretty good job of of uh keeping people safe even at the cost of uh you know the races being you know a little less interesting but the main thing is that no one gets hurt in the sport right yeah there's been a lot of safety innovation since his passing um you know as far as car design and as far as restraint design you know um seat and helmet and, and you know restraints have come a long ways in the years and it's you know the amount of engineering and whatnot that's gone into that is incredible i mean from the hans or halo devices to the uh to the little flaps on the top of the car to create drag and to create a low low uh pressure system to keep the car held down there's those little metal flaps you know they figured out a a lot of cheap easy solutions to to a lot of those problems and they're and they're still working on it they've taken all the cars involved in that wreck are all at their technical center um, and they're doing a more R and D work to figure out why, you know, that car came off the ground, even with all that stuff that they have built into it, all those roof flaps and everything to keep that car on the ground, you know, why it came off, what they can do to improve it. Um, you know, just more going forward. I mean, a spoiler is just an upside down wing. So, you know, it, it should, create as much down pressure as the wing on an airplane, you know, can, can generate to lift. But if you start getting the air going the wrong way uh, on that, then it does right. become, you know, lift. So the more downforce you can produce, you know, potentially the more lift you could produce, I would assume if, if the air was to be reversed. So they've got to figure and, out and, a way of blocking the, the air coming the other way. And it's interesting you mentioned the spoiler because Dale Earnhardt Jr. was actually fairly critical of so the spoiler that NASCAR is using that they started using last year and they're using this year is actually it's kind of a a, a, a dual edged sword so it creates more downforce like you mentioned um, you know so they've been able to um, get the you know the back of the car planted lower you know lower your center of gravity you know more downforce more you know pressure on the rear tires which is all good but the spoiler itself is creating better, cleaner air off the back of the cars. Um, what it's done is created more, a little bit more aggressive driving and um, more, more likely to draft more because it's cleaner. 
yes, it's cleaner and you're getting more drafts, more dangerous runs where, um, you know, in years past and what, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrasing what junior's words were is, you know, in years past, you could see these runs com- coming, you know, and bumping and blocking and, you know, racing was a little more predictable. It was a little safer because of it, but now you're getting that such that clean air that runs are basically coming out of nowhere and you're reacting in milliseconds versus seconds. And that's what's causing a lot of these wrecks too. Um, and junior said that he wouldn't ever get back into a car now with that spoiler because of it. Wow. Just a, a spoiler change could make that big of a difference. And someone who's raced that long in those cars would have a pretty good idea of, uh, you know, of things out there, even though he's not out there driving it, he's, he was in there recently enough and he talks to those guys enough. I would think he'd have a pretty good inside line on, on that sort of thing. I take that to heart if I was uh, NASCAR. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah. It's not junior has been around, you know, forever. It is not a voice to be ignored. Yeah. And he's, is he uh, doing the uh, announcer stuff now? I believe he's doing part of the season. I know, I don't remember what, if he's, which network, you know, you know, on NASCAR kind of does, you know, they part of the season with one network, part of it with another network. I don't know who he's doing it with and when, but I'm, I know he's doing some announcing. I know like right now Gordon's doing some announcing. Um, I'm not sure on specifics. Hmm. Well, that's, that's very interesting. What it's, you know, it's a shame to be leading a race and, and have a big crash. I've done that myself. Um, and it's, you know, without getting hurt, even if you can just get back up and keep going, it's still, uh, you know, hugely disappointing. But then when you're, when you're out and then you get hurt and then you got to go to the hospital, that's just insult to injury at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it hurts, but I mean, he's, you know, his statement, you know, he's saying basically, you know, once they, once they clear him to drive, um, and again, I'm assuming that's, you know, concussion protocols, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once, once he's clear to drive, you know, his, his goal is to get back in the car and he wants, you know, he wants to win a championship, you know, he wants to get back in and drive and drive his butt off and win the championship this year. And so more power to him. Do you think there's a chance that he could, I, I'm not sure what the point standings are, but when you have a crash like that and you have to go through concussion protocol, um, what are the chances that someone could get back without missing a race? Are there a lot of breaks between the races in that season nowadays? Cause as I remember it, there were just a few weekends off and it was a pretty solid season or is this all pre chase? And then he would be able to make that final run. Yeah. So you know, they've got their the chase and their playoff system now. I mean, that's it's it it would depend on how long he's he's actually out, how many races he's actually out, whether he would have a chance, you know. Um it's it's if he's out, you know, a couple races, three, four races, maybe I don't see why not. He could you know, have a chance to qualify for, you know, basically all he's gotta do is make the playoffs and then everything resets. And then you're you gotta be what, top twelve, top ten? Uh I don't I am honestly not current. I don't remember if it's twelve or ten anymore. I know it was somewhere around there, and I, I thought it was twelve. A... I thought it was twelve, and then it went to six, and then four, then two, then winner. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way of uh, of doing that. You know, watching other sports uh, that aren't you know a bracket system like mm-hmm. football or. Um, yeah, any of the main, or you know, basketball, 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 yeah, right. 
So I think that's probably the best uh, racing uh, version of playoffs that I've that I've seen. Um, I think so. I mean, it's it's been the last you know ever since they've done it. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of the like the, the three part system that they have for each race now, but their playoff format, it, like ever since they've implemented it, it's made the end of the season, you know, the last race of the season, a lot more entertaining. You know, as it comes down to the end, whereas like in years past, you know, where it was just, you know, you race the whole season for points and at the end of the year, the year, you know, the year's done, whoever has the most points wins where that could be the last two or three races where one guy's out and out in front by a hundred points and nobody can catch him. So he's always got to do is start, you know, the last three races and he wins, which is just boring. Whereas yeah, the last, exactly. last two or three years, I mean, the last, yeah, the last two years I have not watched anything hardly like live as it happened, I watched some stuff after the fact, but I always watched the end of the year, the last race, because it was always, it was always current. And it was where basically, you know, if you won the race, you would win the championship. So it made for hell of a race. Yeah. And that's, and that's what they're trying to do without, you know, invalidating that. The hard part is not invalidating the first two thirds of the season. Right. Um, you got right. you got to give people a reason and having that cut off that you know only a few people can qualify so you still have to do well but in theory if you're really fast and you're winning a lot and then you go out with an injury you know uh, which is more common in in uh, my sports of motocross and supercross but the idea being that if you you know if you are fast and you should be in it that you could uh theoretically um still make it and they did that in the feeder class for supercross called arena cross they they did it that way and there were a couple of guys that were really fast at the beginning of the season and would get hurt previous champions and such and the fact that they were able to then take you know four weeks and really heal up and they're like okay watching everyone else race and know when they have to go back and how long they have to properly heal and especially with head injuries concussions um you know if you could give people a little more time uh off the bike out of the car out of the helmet in you know football or such i think protecting everyone uh while still giving a good championship all the way to the end is what they're trying to trying to find one more uh, small news item that I found um, on brand for us. It's going to be another Ford-related uh, story, but this time not so positive. So, in my opinion, uh, Ford's making a, a, a step into insurance in a way. Now, a lot of insurance companies have been offering this uh, this thing, and I'm sure you've seen Andy. It's a little OBD2 chip that you uh you plug into your your port there and it kind of measures like throttle position and and that sort of a thing and it'll you can send it in and it could lower your car insurance rates if they decide that you're like a safe driver oh yeah on that information. a lot of companies are starting to get into that now yeah i i think progressive was the first one to do it i think that's the that first ad that I heard and yeah. that's not a plug because I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that idea from a from a privacy standpoint. I don't really want to give my 
data out without, at least in this case, you know, you're getting paid for your data in a way, but um, yeah. Ford's, Ford's kind of going another step with this um, and they're teaming up with Nationwide uh, on 2020 vehicles and you just sign up. You don't have to plug anything in. It uses your built-in modem on your car because cars are computers now. Um, and it, it tracks yeah. like, yeah, it tracks how many miles you drive. You know, it's kind of the paper mile thing that you can get. And it, it's a aggressiveness with your pedals and, and like what time you drive. So like if you drive a lot at night, your insurance could go up, I suppose. Um, and just overall driving habits. Uh, and then they check that. And then when you renew, they, they use that. Um, I guess like some people are looking at like 40% uh, discounts or something is how they're trying to get sucker people in. But I, I assume that will eventually go down as they get everyone on board and then it'll just be, yeah, that'll oh, fit out. Yeah, this will be how it, how it's done. Well, you have to, give us this data to get insurance so right um so what are what are your thoughts on that i'm i'm obviously very kind of cool on the idea of giving out uh that information but at the same time it does allow someone who is a safe driver to prove it um and someone who's a not a great driver to kind of get their comeuppance a little bit what do you think yeah, you know, you know me. I'm I'm more inclined to not give out all my personal information, whether it's driving or what times I'm driving, where I'm driving. But I'm I'm more inclined to to pass. You know, I I, I see the benefits on both ways. You know, I'm I'm not going to say it's it's terrible or it's amazing either way. There's pros and cons to it, of course. But if it was me, there's 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 other things. You know. If I'm trying to cut some costs here and there, like we've we've got pretty good insurance as it is, you know, we've wrapped it in with our, you know, our homeowners insurance and all that as well too. And it's every bit as cheap as something like this. I'm not going to get any more cheaper than I probably already am, and I'm not going to give out my what you track me and my habits and whatnot for a, you know a little bit of a discount, which is going to fizzle down to probably nothing in the next you know year or two anyway. Once it rolls out more mainstream. Yeah, I think the one time that I would have liked it is when I was paying like $400 a month just for me and my truck when I was like 18 years old. Yeah, but even then, you're not going to get the return you would think because you still have the inherent risk of being an 18-year-old with a truck. And when they look at how, you know, my aggressiveness with the pedal and I'm always driving at night, it would have just gone up to be honest. Oh yeah, and mine would be the same because the the way I drive, white goes green, foot to the floor. I get I get to the speed limit as quick as possible, and I maintain. I don't I don't drive easy, so maybe that's why we don't like it. Maybe because it wouldn't help us at all anyway. It's probably not. Yeah, I'm. I'm this I'm would here. probably be great for people like um, our wives. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself. <laughs> I guess I guess I guess I guess I have to. Mine hasn't wrecked one yet. There you go. That's that's <laughs> true. That was that was black ice. I'll give her that one. But yeah, uh, that, in all fairness, yeah, that one's not not one hundred percent her fault. I think that's about what we have for for news today. Uh, I, I, um, I, can, I can get you one more loosely related kind of car story. Okay. <laughs> so a Zamboni driver 
in Toronto the other night ended up playing goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes, a kind of an emergency situation. Both their uh, goaltenders they had went down to injury. So the Zamboni driver got called in to, to play emergency and ended up getting a win for the team. It's kind of awesome. A Zamboni driver. He's yeah, he's he used to play until he had, I believe it was a kidney transplant in 2004. And he's kind of been like a, um, like uh, helps the team in practices. It was like a back, like a, um, a trainer of some sort, I believe. But uh, that he, he drives the, that's, that's the, the big machine that he, they drive around on the, on the, on the yeah. ice. ice yeah, course. Re- yeah. Resurfacing the ice. Yeah. Between the, between periods. Oh, that's crazy. And that he, they were able to bring him up to, to finish out the, uh, the game. Yeah. Well, good for him. My, my, my one way I could tie hockey into to cars, but I'll take it. Oh, look at that. Uh, looks like Jeff has joined us. Uh, are you checking out uh, the story that we're on right now, the Ford Nationwide thing? Uh, yeah, I was just looking over that. Um, so you're going to sign up tomorrow? Uh, oh, yeah. You know me. I love giving up my personal information <laughs> to anyone who's not willing to pay for it, um, which I guess in this case they are, but still. Man, how scummy of a company do you have to be to just like sell? Uh, just ew, just makes me cringe to to think of how much of your personal information you sell as you use devices and you use like, I don't know, cars have always been something so removed and so separate from uh, social media and, and just disconnected from uh, uh, just from, I don't know, the, from the internet and from your, it's just kind of like an escape for me, I guess, to, and to think that they're selling your time and your vehicle as a uh, data aggregation and uh, using it to adjust your insurance rates. I don't know. Feels- it's like if someone put up a uh, a cell tower uh, at the lake that you always fish at to get away. Right, right. It just it feels gross. It doesn't feel like it's something that should happen. But I feel that way about most things. That's why I don't have Facebook and I don't partake in most social media outside of YouTube. So. Um, yeah, um, Andy and I were a little more charitable where we didn't like it. Maybe it wasn't a great idea, but, you know, some people might like it. You're taking a more hard and fast stance that this is a bad idea. Well, I, I think anytime you sell your data or are willing to you know, sacrifice your, uh, you know, your your private life for the profit of a large company, it seems it just feels wrong to me. But that's just me. I mean, I know people out there who could who could care less and just think, oh yeah, they're just they're gonna anonymize it and aggregate it and use it to improve trends and improve their yada yada. But I don't know. I I know how that data is handled most of the time, and most of that sometimes sensitive data is not handled with uh, great care, and you oftentimes uh, find some of your sensitive information on sites that are not password protected, easily accessible on the open web, or, uh, you know, or they're very easy to crack or have, you know, um, uh, have hacking 
done to them, I guess. <laughs> they could, your information can be stolen pretty easy. You know, like, I mean, hacking is what a, uh, how many billion, $20 billion a year industry or more. I can't remember how much it is, but it's absolutely insane um, what exploiting uh, companies' uh, privacy weaknesses are, especially companies like Ford, who I would think, um, you know, in the grand scheme probably has pretty weak, uh, um, you know, protections for their, uh, for their users, sensitive information as, as do most companies really like, you know, without, without a, a, a high stakes IT department or high stakes company where they're dealing constantly with, uh, you know, sensitive user information. Um, and a, a car company is not going to be a top, top rung for that sort of thing. Anything anyway, cause they make cars. They're not, you know, they're right. not Google, which as much as information as they have and what data leaks they have, at least they're kind of somewhat set up for it. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Totally. You're totally right. And, you know, all it takes is, is you know, one weakness or heck, it, it could even go down to one employee that, you know, picks up the wrong thumb drive or, or clicks the wrong link at an email and compromises the data of everyone that has ever applied for a loan or, or you know, ever used the service. Um, it, it really is a kind of a, a crazy time. So I'm, I'm always anti selling your information, uh, for, uh, free products. That said, I still use Google drive. So, I mean, I know I'm, I'm sacrificing some things, but it's all, you know, to bring it back to reality, it's all what you're comfortable with. As long as, um, the information is clear to you up front about what's going to be sold and what they're using it for, um, you know, then, I guess you can make that decision on your own. But to me, it just, it feels gross and shady and all the things I hate about modern capitalism that just bother, bother me so much. But you and I so talked basically about like, just do your research, know what, you know, know what you're putting out there could be compromised and make sure you're comfortable with, with what you're putting out there. If it's, you know, just, first name, email, and a password, that's not so bad. But if they start asking for your address, you know, just know that, you know, no one's perfect, no company is perfect, and that could end up out there. And factor that in when you're looking at uh, saving some money on your insurance. Well, some of the crazy things that, that happen in the world of Google and um, search engines in general and how they make some of their profit, I mean, some of their... I guess some of their algorithms already just within the, the way that you type words and the order you search things in, they have algorithms that can determine your search patterns, what you will be searching for next, um, which is oftentimes why you're so blown away by the ads that show up on your uh, sidebars and on some of the advertising sites because Google is selling your cookies to those sites and providing those sites with cookies that they can access to serve you up ads. But um, they can create basically a profile of you, Randy, or you, Andy, just based on your search history and the way you type data. It doesn't have to be tied to a particular IP address or a particular location. It can be done just based on that, on the, the way that you type, the rate of your keystrokes, the type of wording you use, the all of that i mean it's not it's no longer just you know you can't hop on a library computer and you know uh be anonymous you know you you hop on and you digital fingerprint like, they call it the exact same ads that you would otherwise get on your home computer 
I don't want to digress too much into cybersecurity and, and all that, but when it comes into the realm of cars and kind of the area that I go to to get away from those stressors of, of life that uh, you don't, I don't need, um, I, I don't want my cars being tied to anything, which is why I don't put low jack on any of my cars or, or do anything um, outside of a Edelbrock 600 in the truck club. So, well, you don't have an OBD2 reader to plug any of this into. <laughs> was going to be my exact point. <laughs> but I mean, to anyone else who's tech savvy and conscious of their footprint, their digital footprint, I would advise uh, to carefully consider this. And the other thing too is, you know, I don't know what kind of legality there is around this particular type of thing, but this might already be happening behind your back in a lot of the other com- like modern cars and you may not know it. Like Ford and Chevy may already be selling your driving habits and your browsing habits on their in-app entertainment um, to those companies already. Um, well, look at, look at Tesla too. They can yeah. really adjust, you know, your range and, and whatnot with software updates, you know, you can't tell me they're not tracking everything you're doing in your Tesla. Oh no, they totally are. So, I mean, you're already getting, uh, you know, data sent from your, your cars that are connected, um, all the time being transmitted, uh, to back to the parent company and then who knows who they're selling to. I mean, um, a great thing article, I think I sent you guys was, um, the DMV in, in Oregon in particular, uh, I'm not sure if other states do it, but the DMV sells your information constantly to any third party um, that requests it. And so, and I say any third party, and people, oh well, maybe the maybe there's some restrictions. Well, no, every single request they've ever received for information for, from people, they have granted. So this has gone to insurance companies. This has gone to sales agencies. This has gone to marketing places. Um, you know, I wonder if the DMV is the reason that I always get calls and letters about, and my extended warranty that I don't have is about to expire. I still get those too for my Hyundai that I had for almost a year. I literally was thinking that because, I mean, you guys know me very well. Like I safeguard my information pretty good. I don't put myself out there at all, but I still get tons of junk mail in the mailbox and when I found out that the DMV is selling, you know, your address, your phone number, your this, your that, I'm like, okay, makes sense. I get it now. Now I'm I'm being sold out by, uh, you know, a, a state department agency that should have my best interests and should be operating on the, uh, on the money that I pay them with the ridiculous sums of money I pay them for my, uh, you know, title transfers or my plate renewals or whatever. But apparently that's not enough. So they have to sell my information and I'm already getting angry just thinking about it. So I don't want to get too far down that road. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. We we can go there for a couple hours. I'm going to drink a lot more whiskey tonight if I keep thinking about it. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Just wait, just wait to you, uh, to all the new gas tax laws, Jeff, and over there that are coming in. Oh, are they, is that the cap and trade stuff that's happening? There's my dad was telling me the last time I was over there, there's a bunch of new shit that like Multnomah County specifically is trying to put in like there's going to be more another state level tax plus Multnomah County just wants to raise like another 30 cents a gallon tax on like it's ridiculous what they've got planned next year. Yeah, they're they're going to have a hard time passing that that 
shit because I mean I don't know I the problem is most most of the population for the state you know is in favor of it for well, paying roads and stuff what they say they're going to use it for that they never do right and this is so we're we're totally digressing off of cars for a minute but I hope that's okay Randy call call, call us back in if we need to but it's, it's, things, I mean, it's, it is yeah. still related because we're talking we're talking uh, you know gas tax is directly related to you know that's something that every Every car aficionado, you know, is is keeping an eye on on gas and the costs of it, and and I mean, we could we could digress all the way into well, you know, gas tax won't be a problem very soon because with all the EVs, they won't even bother with the gas tax because that'll be for you know those old vehicles, and and they're going to get all their money from um, you know registrations like they do in Washington State. Uh, but I do think it's about time for us to segue out of the news. Um, uh, into into our rides anyway so i can kind of put us on a a happier note uh for a minute and uh you know i recently moved uh to the texas area and uh got my uh my family finally came down for a visit so that was really nice uh to have them down and we finally got to try out the full capabilities of our three row suv um, because we had uh, six people, you know, me and my wife and our two kids and my parents both came down um, and we went to a Supercross race in Arlington, Texas. And so to do that, it was like $40 to park. Um, so we decided that it would be best to just, you know, take one vehicle since we could. Uh, and so we got to figure out how to fit four full-size adults and a uh, five-year-old and a two-year-old who's still uh, rear-facing for safety reasons um, and how to fit everyone in comfortably. And we didn't have uh, any trouble uh, fitting everyone in with the, uh, you know, two chairs in the front and then the three wide second row and then the two flip-up seats in the back. We had no problem fitting everyone in uh, pretty comfortably, actually. Um, you know, when really complained, we were able to park, uh, and that thing's got such a good turning radius and just sits there and uh, the diesel just idles. And so as it took us, you know, an extra hour to get home because getting out of stadium traffic, everyone's dealt with that once or twice. Um, it was actually super easy. You know, I was I was worried about fitting everyone in a what's ostensibly a midsize SUV, uh, and the back seats are a little cramped, but they're, they're really, uh, not, not unacceptable for, you know, a shorter jaunt. I don't think I'd go a three hour drive, but you know, an hour, uh, didn't seem like it was too bad, said the man in the driver's seat with all the room he needed, but, uh, everyone seemed all right. That seems pretty reasonable. I mean, especially if you've got, um, you know, kiddo in the back and then you know, the mid row is usually pretty decent on size. So it's not bad to I me, mean, especially like I said, if you're not going far, that's, I'd be happy with that too. I was really, really hoping to hear. So we, we found this sweet trail out in the national forest that doesn't exist out there. And we were just bobbing <laughs> through some big old mud holes and that diesel just climbed up this big rock face. All the kids were in the back with their heated leather seats and their DVDs and all of this infotainment, but that didn't probably happen. Am I right? Oh, that was a few months ago, actually. Oh, good. Okay, good. We did. Favorite. We went out. 
didn't go mall crawling, did you? No, we actually went out um, and we went out with uh, um, family family friends of ours, uh, my kids' godparents, actually. And we all went out uh, mountain biking out in Bend, Oregon, uh, out in Central Oregon. It's a beautiful place out there. And we took all of our bikes and we met our friends out there. And um, that's the other time that we got to use all the seats. Um, but we, uh, we went out and my friend has a, you know, brand new Tacoma four by four double cab. It's got the crawl and all that stuff, but to get up to some of the best, um, mountain bike stuff, we had to go up some, some pretty torn up, uh, you know, washed out trails. Now you could get up there in most SUVs, I would think. But it was it was fun to go up because there was some gnarlier bits that they kind of showed. Hey, you can go around this a little bit easier. But the X5 had no problem going up probably a 20%, 25% very soft grade uh, that had been kind of made a, a canyon. So you had to kind of pick your lines certainly to kind of go over some of the bigger rocks and keep from dropping down into the, into the valleys that went down uh, probably 18 inch, uh, gully down the middle that kind of snaked left and right, some big grapefruit size boulders. And, uh, and then, you know, you get to the top of that and you can kind of mob down some dusty roads. So with the, uh, with all the, all the bikes on the back, and and going up and doing that and making trips up and down with that we were able to do some some off-road in the all to all time all-wheel drive just held perfectly so it does it does both of the things it does the suv things and it does the sport activity things that that uh bmw says it should do because they don't call it an suv it's an sav sports activity vehicle because being a bmw wasn't pretentious enough as it is that's funny. I was watching Dirt Every Day uh, last night, and it just reminds me the way you described that gully of you just out there mobbing this little diesel BMW up this uh, grade and some Dirt Every Day craziness or something. That'd be a fantastic thing to film next time you're out. Yeah, I think I have a couple of pictures, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't take any any long videos. If I have anything, I'll I'll throw it up. Um... And I'll, I'll reach out to the guy I was out with and, uh, cause he was, he was like, Oh, this did pretty well. You know, this is a big off-road guy. He built a first gen Toyota, um, you know, on, on, you know, completely custom lift. Uh, and so he, he knows off-road and he was pleasantly surprised for the little, you know, the little, uh, heated seat vehicle and said it did pretty well, did pretty well. Yeah, that's awesome, um, dude. So yeah, we got to we get to keep kind of exercising this thing a little bit and seeing, you know, at each end what it's capable of because I know it'll do, you know, eighty five mile an hour down the highway perfectly smooth. I mean, it's great to just commute in if you need to, uh, and all the seats folding up and down. You know, you can fold all the seats down. You got a lot of room for for all the stuff. We can fit all the dogs and all the kids. Um, and it just gets 24 miles to the gallon, no matter what we do in a midsize SUV. That's double what 
a lot of uh, gas ones are getting right now. They're getting 12 to 14, you know. So I'm pretty pretty pleased with, with that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, for real. I, that's that's nothing to complain over for sure. That's doing pretty good. Yeah. What have you guys been up to uh, automotive related? I set the bar pretty low, so. Um, I guess I could start if you want. I have some reasonable stuff. Um, so, uh, this last, uh, week I, um, you know, after finding water in the Bronco, um, in my, in the last segment, I was kind of discussing, um, you know, just, uh, the pain of finding mold and water in your cars. And so I was out driving the Falcon the other day and I kind of feeling around and, Carpet was not nearly as damp as the Bronco, but it was a little damp. And I started like, I got my flashlight out and I was looking at the heater box and I go, like, oh, great, here we go. A little couple little drops right at the seam of the heater box, which if you looked at, if you ever seen a Mustang, uh, early Mustang heater box, it looked like exactly the same, same thing. So I, you know, I'm like, well, no time like the present, let's dig into this thing. And so I, you know, that night I pull the car in the garage, rip the heater box out, rip the fresh air vent out. And uh, um, shine my uh, light up into the cow, which if you don't know about Mustang or Falcon cow rust, um, it's a real thing and it's real bad. And I think I, I might have mentioned this last time a little bit, but yeah, we um, covered this a bit last week. So yeah, uh, if yeah. you're not sure, go back and listen to that one. Yeah. And so you'll get a little more information on the rust. Right. So um, anyway, so I looked in there and I found a little bit of rust in one spot. Um, nothing severe. And I was like waiting to pull the fresh air vent out and see what the other side looked like. And it actually looked pretty good. So I uh, took my, my phone and uh, got my camera going on my phone and I shoved my camera and my phone up in the, in the little crack where I could get it and kind of circled it around the fresh air vent to look for rust and, and debris. And there's tons of leaves and dirt up in there, which is what causes these to rust out. So I, uh, I uh, ordered this little, um, this, uh, it's like an aerosol nozzle from Eastwood. That's, uh, like a tube. And, uh, I ordered some of the rust encapsulator and, um, I ended up scooping all reaching my hand up in there the best I could and scooping all the leaves out, scooping all the stuff out. And then I, um, bought their rust encapsulator. And, uh, just this weekend I it came in. So I started spraying, um, the rust encapsulator in with that little tube. I put, I, I emptied the whole can, which is amazing. Um, how much mill thickness that stuff puts down. Like it just tons of tons of paint down for how little I felt like I was spraying, but, uh, some nasty, nasty stuff. It's a MEK base. So it just stinks. And so you got to wear your respirator, but anyway, so I got all that sprayed and then I put some of that, uh, Rust-Oleum appliance epoxy over the top of it, which I've used on frames and stuff before, and it it works really well. It's really good hardy paint. So I uh, I sprayed all that and got that all finished up and uh, put back together. And so it's kind of off gassing outside now, doing its thing. But uh, I'm hoping that that cures my my ills and um, no more leaks. Um, so I uh, so I got that all done, and then tonight I just went and picked up the seats for the Bronco, and they look uh, fantastic. They look great, so I'm, I'm really stoked that those are back. Um, despite the uh, it, the non-matching uh, material, which even the guy who did the upholstery is like, dude, this stuff has green in it. There's no way that it didn't, you know, but whatever. It The seats look so good after, you know, getting them all together, like 
only a purist would probably notice, which is me, but still they look great. And, uh, I'm pretty stoked to have those back. So now the truck just needs to go off the paint and, uh, that thing will be, be looking really nice when it's all done, do some carpet and, uh, get some seals in it and, then, uh, you know, start on the drivetrain, do some, uh, lockers and stuff, but, uh, one step at a time. So that's kind of my Project. updates right now. They look really good there. You sent us some pictures over, uh, the group chat and they, they do look really good. They look very, very vintage. They may not be perfect, but, uh, the layman like us, they look, they look really good. Oh um, yeah. No, I'm pretty happy with them. Um, so are we, well, uh, Andy thinks of, uh, what he's got. I do have, uh, just the one follow-up question. Did you ever, uh, end up deciding if you were going to get that, uh, that magnetic cowl cover? Oh yeah. The... Good, good catch. I did buy that. Um, it's pretty cheesy. Not going to lie. Um, I don't know if I have much faith that it'll work. Um, uh, it might keep the bulk of the water out, but, um, yeah. Better so, than nothing sort of a thing. Yeah. So to back up and let, let everyone know what Randy's talking about there, and maybe I didn't mention it last week, but, uh, they had, you, these... you, you did, but you can go over it quick. Yeah. So they, they had these little magnetic cow covers that, or there are little sheets that are magnetized and you stick them down on the cowl and they're supposed to prevent water from getting in. But all it really is, is somebody, you know, basically bought traced out what the cowl kind of looks like and kind of gave a ballpark of what these things fit, you know, what the, what the cowl looks like. And they just, um, cut out a piece of magnetic sheet stock and then sell it for 15 or 20 bucks, which, you know, whatever I, I was willing to try it. Um, it, it's pretty weak magnetic, so I don't know if it'll really keep much of the water out, but I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll give it a shot for a little while, see if it helps. Um, but yeah, so that I, I did end up buying that. Excellent. Well, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's good that you got the seats and stuff done. Uh, Andy, what have you been, uh, what have you been doing? Physically, nothing. <laughs> I I've got my garage cleaned out and reorganized and whatnot, but as far as the cars themselves go, um, Mustang I've got to put back together a couple of weeks ago. Uh, got to put back in the corner and cover it up again. Focus is charged back up and running again normally. So nothing much really physically. Um, I did swap the door pulls on the Mustang though. I put the I found my old stuff I had on the on the the six banger, the the stuff I had painted Amazon. Um, I swapped those into the Cobra just to see how they look. They're not bad. I might I might do the the HVAC console and shifter console one day when I decide to get around to it. That could definitely look that could definitely look nice. I mean, it definitely gives it a lot of uh, individual character. Yeah, I mean when you when you put Amazon next to the electric you can see the difference, but inside it's it's not terribly different to the point where I don't like it. That's probably familiar for you, you know, you, you it, it really is. For... Yeah. Yeah, I had that in that car for years and yeah, I salvaged it off of it and it's like, well, I had this floating around and I had some time the other weekend. That was about the only thing I did really physically when I was just buttoning the car back up from redoing the electrical work, but um other than that, really haven't done a lot physically on the cars. Um, been looking for possibly a new tire setup for the Focus. Um, 
know I was talking to Jeff last week about it, but I'm thinking about running the uh, the SCCA series out here, um, the autocross series. They run a bunch of races out here in Boise, um, and it's relatively cheap to run. I could run the focus as is, um, you know, in a, as a basically a, a, a beginner like newcomer class, or I could. Um, if I wanted to put a better tire on it, um, you know, I could go to like a, a 200 treadwear tire without it going into like an unlimited class and still being in like a novice club level class. And so, so you, you wouldn't need to put like a five point harness in or roll cage or anything. No, you, you can run basically a like completely stock car. Um, if you, I, there's, there's some rules as far as convertibles that have to have some sort of anti real roll bar of some sort. If you're running anything beyond like a, novice class i believe but i haven't gotten that far into the rule book yet well start at the bottom work your way up that that could be fun it's it's nice to go out and race that's what i like about um about motocross is that was something i could go and do and i always wanted to get into car racing but it was just it, it was substantially more expensive uh you know every time you go out um i did a calculator when i got the the bullet and i was like okay if i wanted to go out and i calculated what it would cost for me to go out to the scca um and you know if if uh if it was as hard on vehicles as i had heard it was which i feel it was overstated um i was gonna have to replace basically brakes and tires every third time out um and that just got prohibitively expensive then it you know it's hard on ball joints and it's hard on you know just about everything and just the chance of putting it into a wall and i went ah, i'll just stick to the uh, friday night drags every once in a while but um have you looked into kind of the aggregated cost of of everything not that far out i mean i think this year would be i don't i'm not anywhere near running you know like a whole season that might be probably you know a, a time constraints this year are going to be the biggest thing. Um, but, you know, that would be something I'll look at next year. But I don't think it's quite as bad as what you were thinking or maybe what you have been told. But, like, I know I know some other guys who were pretty hard into, you know, doing the full the full time, you know, full stint road course racing. And that that does kind of start putting a stress on the car. And, um, you know, guys were doing, you know, tires, you know, two or three times a season. Um you know, breaks every three to four races that does add up and that's up quickly. But um, yeah, what I saw was a track day was going to cost me four fifty to $500 just to go out and do it. You know, the portion of tires that I was going to go through and the portion of breaks and the, you know, to get into the club and then, you know, gas and, and all the stuff added together. And it was just more than I could kind of stomach for what was going to probably be 30 laps. But I would guess with the focus, it's probably not going to be quite as harsh just because I knew I was going to, I was going to drive that car, the Mustang kind of too hard. If I went out and did it, uh, I think that yeah. the focus might be a little bit easier to stomach. Maybe half and, and doing, and doing the autocrosses, it's not, it's they're, they're fairly short stints too, you know? Um, yeah. You're not doing 20 you're laps. Doing a lot of laps. You're not really, you know, you're a, a lapper. So, you know, at, at full heat and everything and, you know that's it you're not really pushing it hard for very long but you know at, at most you know um i believe entries were like 35 bucks a race um 
SCCA membership, I think, was 75 bucks for the year, um, which I believe gets you a discount on, like, if you're doing multiple races or if you do both events in a weekend or something like that, um, which is something I probably okay. do next year. But, I mean, probably this year, I just I just want to take it and try it as it is before I, before I even think about, you know, going to the stickier tire. I just want to take it out and see what it does and really it's pure just stock form and you know see if it's worth doing anything to it okay so jeff will go get some 165s that he can put on the falcon and then he'll drive over and you guys can do some uh, autocross super super wide 165s there we go that's right and then we'll switch <laughs> I would be distracted by all the gadgets in your car and, and immediately wreck. <laughs> and I'll be like, um, how do you drive a three on the tree? <laughs> I just hear gears grinding the whole time and then the transmission yeah. throw a gear yeah. out the side of it. And then we're working on Jeff's car in my garage again. That's right. <laughs> These synchros suck. What synchros? Exactly. We need synchro. <laughs> What's a synchro? That sounds pretty new school. I believe it's a an old wooden ship. <laughs> an old old wooden ship. Uh, so uh, something that I kind of we we touched on a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago that I, I it's just been on my mind. Um, I figured we could we might cut this one a bit short, but I wanted to kind of touch on track toys a little bit. Uh, today because I was happy to touch on track toys. I've been thinking about those a lot, and since we're kind of talking about you know uh, track days, like if you could pick a couple of a couple of cars to take out there, maybe one one older and one newer um, that you could take out to a track, whether it's an autocross or a full track day. You know, I'm I'm curious whether you guys would go uh, with like with an Adventador, if you'd go with something more like a, like a Lotus. Uh, so what do you guys think you'd, you'd do for, for that? If you need a minute, I could, uh, I could go too. Oh, oh, let's just throw cars out there. We can cycle through as we think about them. Um, I'll throw one out real quick. I would do uh, E46 M3. Cause mm -hmm. why not? <laughs> it's it's a great handling car and it's got the right it's got kind of a good balance of power and handling well it, you know after being in your e39 um and how much i liked driving that and how great i would imagine that'd be on the track uh, e46 i would guess would be it's firmer a little more sporty a little more direct cousin so as a pure track toy i think that would be a lot of fun um as would a lotus uh, exige you know, of course, I love those, but those would be the two I can think of right now. But uh, I'll think of something else too. Yeah, the, I would definitely. The Exige Cup is definitely one I would love to put some time on. Word. I think that's kind of top for for us for a lot of you know. It kind of depends on on where you're going, but yeah. for a lot of places uh, that don't have like a super long uh, straight would be yeah more of a technical chronic car. Less Lamar, more even, you know, Hockenheim or um, yeah, uh, Laguna Seca. It'd be it'd be fun to try and put that Exige 
at speed down through the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. There, um, there's a couple I'd like on Laguna Seca that are that are on brand. Mm-hmm. I would I'd say the I wouldn't do the M3 if I was gonna go kind of an older BMW. It'd either be like the Batmobile uh, uh, one or or like a kind of a tuned 2002 like something that's been stiffened up and and kind of put the right tires on it not a mm. not a stock one by any means but kind of a race prepped 2002 BMW would be uh would be what I would want to do I think I'd built one of those on Forza Horizon probably they're they're pretty popular didn't they make a turbo one of those like a like a vintage like 2002 with a turbo and a wide body Hmm, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. But so, what what are you thinking there, Andy? The the ones that come to mind, probably no surprise, two thousand Cobra R. <laughs> you both yeah, saw well, that the car. R is going to be a, that's that's a big that's a big thing. That big alum is that an all aluminum five point four in those? I think it's a five eight, isn't it? No, it's a, it's a five four. Oh. Yeah, that's that's number one. Um, slightly newer, the uh, 427R track packs would be a slightly newer upgrade as far as a true more of a track oriented car. Shit, dude. That's a Roush, um, right? That's a Roush, yeah. New Corvette. Done. I would see. Mid engine? Wait one more year. Trust me. Wait one more year. Right, wait for the C6 or the, whatever. The, the, the Z06 is going to be Z06 is going to be worth its weight in gold. Oh, that thing's going to be a monster. I think yeah. that that will be. Don't get me wrong. Cool. I love the I love the new GT500, but the the Z06 is going to be ridiculous. I think that the the new Corvette is is impossible to beat, really, as far as price. You know, car for price for, point, it's yeah. it's hard to beat right now, unless you're talking about spending you know, Lamborghini money. Right. Right. For anything, any of us could reasonably attain. I think the Corvette's about all right. you need to. And, and even, even the C8 by itself without the C06 package, you know, that they're offering oh, yeah. at just under 60,000, like is insane. I, 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 I'm curious to see, you know, comparisons and races and whatnot between the new GT 500 and the new C8 to see what the true comparisons are. Oh yeah, Totally. Um, the, what about uh, Caterham? What do you guys think of Caterhams? Yeah. They're, they're not a... I don't know. They're kind of a in-between car for me. I don't not like them, but I've just never been keen on them. Yeah, I I have to agree. I think that they're like, they're neat, but they don't do it for me. They Yeah, exactly. The, I don't know if it's the look, if it's the combination. It just it just doesn't 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 inspire anything in me. Um yeah, I can't can't say it's something I would I would want to own. I think they're such they're so bare bones uh and they're kind of just designed for it that I think that if I got in one and got to actually 
use it as intended around the track, I think I really think I'd fall in love with it. So that would be kind of my my reasoning behind it is that I'm not sure I'd want it as a road car. I think I'd want it for like two years as a road car and then I'd end up getting rid of it because I'd never drive it. But I think if I had like a tuned 310 that was just, you know, had someone come by and help get the suspension set and uh, and really learn to, to, to drive, I think that that would be, um, you know, much like the Lotus, something that you can really learn to get every ounce of uh, ability out of it is, is kind of why it's, it's on my list. Right. Uh, alternatively, something that is as old as the Caterham looks, I think I'd like to do a few laps in a D type Jag. Hmm. That'd be cool. So you have a soft actual... spot for Jaguar though. I've, I've noticed. Oh, very, very much so. I mean, the E type is gorgeous, but I think the D type, um, it's an, you know, an all aluminum race car. Like they made it to go racing. Um, and I think that that would just be maybe scarier and more difficult than I'd want by the time I've actually done it. I still think that'd be a fun experience to go race something like that. Uh, just at like a, 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 you know, a vintage race that you got a bunch of older vehicles out that no one wants to hit each other in. Yeah, that that makes me, uh, you know, harken back to uh, the week before last when I watched Ford versus Ferrari and <laughs> how much I would love to drive one of the original GT40s. That would be just epic, or or a maybe a, a Ferrari a GTO. Um, but I, mean, I think that movie did a great job of making me not want to. Oh yeah, <laughs> you mean after he caught on fire and couldn't get out? Yeah, between them, them all blowing up all the time, and and when uh, spoilers, when Carroll Shelby um, drove, you know Henry Ford the second around and scared the living bejesus out of him. Uh, hey. You know, I I don't think I could drive that thing to a an extent that I'd be satisfied with it. I think it'd just scare me away. Yeah, I could see that, but we're. I mean, this is almost kind of deviating into like cars we want to drive, you know, like we're kind of getting into, I don't know. These yeah, are really but specific, specifically on the track is, is kind of, uh, I think where we're, where we're trying to, to stay. Cause there's certain ones that I would not want to drive on the track that I'd love to drive. Um, like a, like a Ferrari 612 is going to be an example of a car yeah. that I'd hate to drive on the track, but I'd love to drive. Um, you know, from end to end of, of, you know, Europe or something. For me, yeah. that that's a, a 599 GTO. Yeah, yeah exactly. Big, big V12 saloons. But but as far as track cars, so that's kind of, Jeff, our delineation is, is something we want to drive at a track with a helmet and a fire suit sure. and get the maximum performance out of it. I definitely see the 599 GTO as an Andy car uh, in the Ferrari realm, I think. Here, I'll put the link. Black to this. hood. One. Big old yeah. wing. You know, black Exposed rims. carbon. Exposed yeah. carbon with red paint. Yeah, that's that's totally you, dude. Yeah. Why not just an FXX at that point, though? 
Well, there's that too, I guess. The what is it? The FFX. FXX is a is a Ferrari that you could buy for what two point two million dollars. It was a track car. The track car that that you own, the Ferrari keeps in their possession. Yep, you never get to have it. If you want to drive it, you tell Ferrari where and when, and they will drive it to the track in a trailer, drop it off with a race crew, with a pit crew, and then you get in the car, you drive around, and then you pull it back in, and they replace the tires, they check the engine, they do all the mechanic stuff, and then when you're ready to go back out, you go back out, and then at the end of the day, uh, you hop back in your whatever and they drive away with your car and then you see it again next track day it's basically a rent a race team yeah interesting idea uh, to pay millions of dollars for a car you never get yeah Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's lots of things that i would love to drive on the track that i wouldn't want to drive in real life and really that's any any Hellcat, I think, I would like to drive at the track and not in real life. Hellcats just don't do it for me. I don't, I don't know why. They just don't. Like they're, if it's someone else's tires, I'm happy to do it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I'll go go through and burn off a set of tires on a Hellcat or a Demon. Sure. But give me a 350 any day. Yeah, just something something that would perform well. I'm trying to think of something like a. Of course, you can say something like a like a. A, a modified or a race version of like an early first or second gen 911 would be like a race prepped 911 would be a, a like a singer. A yeah, or even a like a last gen GT2, the one that's a proper Ooh, manual. Yeah. That might be nice. Yeah, I could, I, could, I could get down to a GT2. I don't think I'd want to drive like a Koenigsegg Agura even on a track. I just feel like the danger would be too high. Oh, no, any day. Any day. I would An Agura, Silver State Classic in an Agura? Yes, please. Andy would go out in an Agura or on, a, on turn five of uh, <laughs> uh, Minolta or something. I mean, Yeah, I, I think some of the supercars might be too much. Much like a Ferrari F40 or F50, I, I feel like I just get hurt. Uh, and I, 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 it's a car I want to drive and maybe drive on a track, but certainly not to any type of limit. So not a track toy per se. You know, if we're still on track toys, there's one I've got to hit too that I almost missed for some reason, but uh, Celine S7R. I was waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised you didn't say anything. I was waiting for it. I knew it would come up at some point. Either the S7R or the, or the Mustang, the, the SR. You can pretty much uh, bank on Andy liking anything with an SVT in front of the name or Celine in front of the name. Or uh, Roush. Or Roush, yeah. You know, you know my taste. Yeah, very like you said at the beginning, very on brand choices. Very on brand choices, that's for sure. I'm not, I'm not hard to call. I'll tell you what, I would not drive. I wouldn't drive a Hennessy Venom GT. Oh yeah, the Venom that that just seems like a 
like a car they put together to to win a race and not actually drive. It's a hacked up car that's extended with a built motor. It's not... It's a neat idea, but I don't know. I'm not a fan. It's neat. I'm glad it exists, but I don't want to drive it. It, Yeah. Yeah. The... It was a car that was built to break a record that broke a record that really didn't break a record. So, yeah, it's all kind of splitting hairs weirdly. The 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 Venom went about it the wrong way. Koenigsegg did it the right way. There's a lot more work in engineering into a Koenigsegg. Oh yeah, like endless amounts more. Yeah. If you ever want an interesting series to watch? There's the Inside Koenigsegg on YouTube. Oh god, that is a fantastic series. Like their 3D uh, printed centered uh, turbos and their, you know, hand laid carbon fiber oh. wheels that are twenty five thousand yeah. dollars a piece. They've got those heads that don't have they head, don't have valves. No, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're uh, solenoid yeah. actuated, called the free valve. Free valve, that's what it is. Yeah, and that keeps keeps more uh, more of your mass down low mm-hmm. and reduces center of gravity. And then there's the car without a transmission, the Regera. Yeah, it's just absolutely insane the level of development and devotion they have to the to the idea of uh, hypercars just pushing the limit of engineering. I think this is a good kind of uh, transition over to our final thoughts, and that's that's something that people should check out for sure. Is the inside coding egg stuff that guy? his brain works differently than most people and they really develop some neat ideas. There's a lot of good thinking and a lot of great ideas there in Kodasek and even the, the newest model, the, the Yesco or Jesco, depending on your accent, whatever you want to call it is got a lot of new, new, new kit. I'll call it built into it. It's like every couple of years they come out with some new crazy innovation yeah, the free valve is the one that I've watched most recently and what they're able to do, like when they explain it, they're able to explain it in a way that even I can understand. And I'm like, well, absolutely. That's certainly the way we should be doing things. That's a way better, way better system that cuts out all the waste. It's like, why are we doing things this way? Well, it's because that's, you know, we started from a certain place, in, you know, in the late 1800s with internal combustion engines. And we have to kind of, you really have to do a clean sheet thought process to to come up with the kind of stuff they do. I think uh, Koenigsegg is basically the the brand that you get when you remove cost from the engineering equation. They they solve the problem in the best way possible. Uh, you know, using unlimited resources and technology. You know, like they just they develop the right solution to the problem, not the one that is easiest to manufacture or cheapest to manufacture they just they make the best product that they can right they don't have like, the only huge corporation behind them pushing them to do something right for one reason or another or some the head like, of the company is this guy it's, who engineering and doing it right right yeah he's like i mean the 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 head of the company is a guy who believes wholeheartedly in delivering the most interesting best product and that's Kind of when I I think I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but like to get the level of quality that I would want out of a new car, I'd have to look in like the exotic, like the hyper exotic realm where every stitch 
is deliberate and intended in the interior and every part is well thought out and calculated and does its job uh in exactly the right way and isn't isn't you know isn't an afterthought or some type of you know uh design by committee uh bs that you get in a lot of new cars um you know it's pure it's enthusiast driven it's you know it's exactly what as car guys we want to see out of the car world um just in an area we can't afford um <laughs> right know, like it's not a car that's smart that, that's designed for mass appeal to appeal to the soccer mom of you know three that wants something that's sporty it's designed to be to invoke emotion and to appeal to that you know half of one percent of of the people who buy cars that are uh you know that want something that's that is just they're pure car guys through and through and that is something i i respect a ton about koenig's egg um probably more than any other car manufacturer i think they're true to form in that regard Does anyone have any other final thoughts other than uh, definitely check out uh, Inside Koenigsegg? That's a YouTube series, I believe. I don't have anything off the top of my head. Project Farm, dude. Check him out. He's a good dude on YouTube. I really like his stuff. Yeah, I think we hit that one up last weekend. Definitely, if you if you didn't in the last week, uh, here's a reminder. Go check it out. Some yep. new stuff. Yep. Don't get the flu. <laughs> No, my uh, the family here is fighting it, so that's why we're going to be a bit short this week. Um, uh, but other than that, uh, if no one has any other thoughts, then I'll tell everyone uh, to definitely check out uh, the other shows on the network. We're working on growing. We've got you know a few other ideas in the in the hopper that we're working on too. Uh, check out uh, loose spokes if you're into motocross and dirt bikes, and check out just another side quest for all your video game needs um and uh with that from all of us here we'll go ahead and say good night good night thanks for your thanks for listening good night everybody listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches